Well, 1 Samuel chapter 15, basically that's where we're going to spend our, our time uh, this evening. And it is a very much a, a special point of our series through the, the book of Samuel. We've basically seen two sections already. We've seen Samuel uh, as the section regarding the, the young man, the young boy Samuel uh, being brought into the temple. We've considered that up until chapter 7. And from chapter 8 in this latest uh, series up until now, chapter 15, we've been considering Saul, a king who was placed in God's uh, throne, or seemingly uh, in God's thrones, a king in God's place. In chapter 15 and 16, this is just a little bit of context so that we know where we are and what the story is going, are very much a, a turning point in the story. Uh, in chapter 15, the author of Samuel finishes his uh, narration of the life of Saul or the rise of Saul into the monarchy uh, by speaking of Saul's ultimate failure to obey the word of the Lord and that resulted in his rejection. That's very much what we read uh, this evening. And from chapter 16, we no longer consider Saul a king in God's place. We will start to see the rise of David uh, a man, a king after God's own heart. So that's a little bit of the context of what's going on here. In essence, in chapter 13, that's the first time that Saul is uh, openly rejected. That's, but that time, he's not rejected as king as such. It's his dynasty that is rejected. Now, because of his failure in chapter 15, even himself, his kingship is now uh, rejected. In essence, Saul, as we'll see in, the ne in these two chapters, gets the Spirit of God withdrawn from him, and in essence, he is a, a dead man walking. He is dead while he is still alive. But very much the question for us this evening, for us to consider from this passage, and I think uh, I don't need to explain much to, to show that how this question is relevant in this passage is, is to what extent is God's command normative, that is binding for us? Are we as Christians to affirm that the word of God in its entirety is completely truthful or can we play fast and loose with it? Pick, pick and choose the things we want to obey. Pick and choose the things we want to ignore. That's the question for us in practice, in application, that we have before us. And we'll consider this passage in four uh, sections, in four bullet points. The first one is the command. The second one is the disobedience. The third, Saul's excuses. And the fourth, the punishment. We'll spend most of our time in, uh, in the first point, so don't get too scared if, we, uh, if I delay myself too much on the first point and you think, oh dear, we only got through the first one and, and it's already time. It, we'll spend most of our time in the first one and lesser uh, in the second and even less in the third and fourth. So the first point is the command. The command that Saul receives, verse 1, 2, and 3, Paul uh, Saul, not Paul, Saul receives a command from the Lord. He is told that he is to go and wage war against the Amalekites. And very much in verse 1, we have that, that calling, that, that warning from Samuel. 
be careful to heed to the voice of the words of the Lord. Be careful to listen to what God is telling you. Samuel urges Saul to demonstrate faithfulness, full faithfulness to what God is about to tell him. And, and very much what Samuel says to Saul is what Samuel says to us. We too have that divine command, that divine duty to make sure that we listen fully to what God is telling us, that we may walk in obedience to his word. There is somewhat, uh, that's the conclusion in a sense, but that wouldn't surprise you. There is somewhat of a disconnect when we as the people of God say that we are the children of God, say that we are the people of God, and yet willfully, and I'll emphasize willfully, because we all in one way or the, or the other always end up being falling short and disobeying, but when we do it willfully, there is some kind of a disconnect for us to say that we're the people of God and willfully ignore or disobey God's word. But what we see here is that Saul is being given a final opportunity. We've already seen him being disobedient to God and he's being given in the Lord's patience and, and, and slowness to anger God gives him a final opportunity. And the question is, will Saul finally be obedient to God? Because from chapter 8 till now, every time he's had an opportunity to, to obey God, we've seen even in chapter 8 how he just comes sh short, where, where he just obeys almost. But almost is not good enough. So verse 2 and 3, the command is clear. He is to go and wage war against the Amalekites, against Amalek. Saul is to completely and utterly destroy everything that Amalek has. He cannot spare them. He cannot take spoils. He must put to death men, women, children, infants, oxen, sheep, camels, and donkeys. It's everything. This is a divine judgment coming. The reason for such a command is because 300 years before... The Amalekites had attacked uh, Israel when they were in the wilderness. 300, that's recorded in Exodus 17. If you, if you want to go there uh, later to, to read, they attacked them from behind. Very much when they, the place where they attacked them is the place where the women and the children and the, and the, and the elderly and the, the sick would be. Uh, when you're traveling in a caravan, usually, more often than not, the, the men go in, in the front to make sure that it's safe. And the women, the children, the elderly, the, 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 the fragile stay behind. And we read there that the Amalekites attacked them from behind. And to add insult to injury in that record, it also says that they attacked them at a particular time that they were exhausted and weary from, from the travel. The Amalekites showed no mercy to God's people. And they ought utterly slaughtered them on that day. To add even more insult to injury, the Amalekites were blood related to the Israelites. The Amalekites were the descendants of Esau. Therefore, they were blood brothers. But they cowardly attacked Israel from behind on that day. And they slaughtered women, children, everything. They did not fight with honor. And therefore, when you get to the book of Deuteronomy, there's this injunction there. 
Deuteronomy chapter 25, and this one I'll read. The Lord says, remember that Amalek, the, this nation, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks and all the stragglers at your rear. When you were tired and weary, when he did not fear God, and he did not fear God, therefore it shall be. When the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around, in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, that you, may, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. Therefore, because of this heinous act, the Amalekite people have been placed under the curse, under the a ban of utter destruction. The word there is harem. Harem is very much, you probably hear, hear the Muslims sometimes talking about something being haram uh, when they're talking about saying, oh, that, that, we don't do that, that's haram. It's the same word. Hebrew and Arabic are related. It's the word to be banned, to be forbidden. And the, the Amalekites had the haram placed on them. They were banned. They were uh, devoted to destruction. This is not a group to conquer. This is not a group to plunder or, or to keep alive. It is a group that is meant to be utterly destroyed because of their sinfulness. Now, the question is, what do we make of it? What do we make of this? This is the as they say, the elephant in the room. What do we make about the curse that is placed on them? Well, you kind of understand the man being placed under the curse, but even the children, even the nursing babes, even the infants, it sounds horrifying in our ears, right? So we ask, how can these words, how can these be the words of the God who in Scripture is shown to be a God of compassion. It's shown to be a God that has compassion on all that he has created. This is a question that we have, and I think it would be remiss of me not to address it. So if you don't mind, I'll address it in, a, in what I think is a step-by-step -step form so that we see that God is indeed justified. I believe it's five points. One check now. Point number one. Judgment on sin is always horrible because sin is horrific. Sin carries with it a terrible weight, a price that is terrible. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And this truth is unavoidable. Hamalek had committed a great sin against God and open themselves to this very judgment. And this is the inescapable reality of all of us who are unrepented in our sins. Our sins carry with it a, 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 a terrible uh, price. That's the truth, number one. Number two, and this is clear as well, and I don't think anyone would argue with this, in order for God to be just and holy, God must punish sin. In order to be just and holy, the guilty must be accountable for the sin that they commit. Again, I'll quote from Romans, because so often the, 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 the excuse of, 
uh, of some when they come to these passages. Oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. The God of the New Testament is a God of grace. The God of the New Testament is a God of grace in as much as the God of the, the Old Testament was a God of, of grace. And the, the God of the, the New Testament is a just God as well. So Romans, God must be just and punish sin. Romans 1, 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So number one, sin is terrible and the judgment for sin is terrible. Number two, God must be just and punish all sin. And it follows from that that God is praised from punishing all sin. God is worshipped because he is just and he is righteous to punish all transgressions. We have twisted minds if we think otherwise. We have twisted something in our brains to think that God is not justified and even praised for punishing sin. Do we or do we not expect the courts of this land to exact perfect justice? Do we not get offended and all uh, shocked when we hear of someone who committed a heinous crime being given uh, a light sentence? We, 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 we shudder at that. We get upset because that's not just. That's not right. When we hear about a politician caught in a corruption scandal and he only gets a slap on the wrist, what is it that everyone complains about? That the justice system is not working. That is too light. That is too lenient. That is not just. Justice is not blind, they say. In the same fashion, the, the other side of the coin, when justice is swift and is uh, correct, especially when it concerns us, when we are the ones who have been aggrieved, when, the, when the, the, the judge does right, we praise it. It's like, that was good. It was swift. swift. It was decisive. The question is, should we expect anything less from God? Do we not praise the, the judge when he, he, he puts the right sentence on a, on a criminal? Can we really expect anything less from God? Or can we, really, can we say that what Amalek did was not worthy of the punishment of God? And God is very much praised. You cannot read through the book of Psalms without seeing it, that God is praised for being just and, and visiting the wicked with his just punishment. Here is the man, Psalm 52 says, who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in weakness, wickedness. And then later on, I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, saints I will wait on your name. Proverbs when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, perish there is jubilation. Oh, but that's the Old Testament, Pastor. That's, that's the Old Testament wrathful God. Well, let's go to the New Testament, book of Revelation, right at the end. As the harlot of Babylon is visited with God's just judgment, it says that the saints in heaven, the great multitude in heaven, they rejoice. They sing hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he avenged on her the blood of his serv servants shed by her. 
Again, they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. The Lord is praised because he is just and he does rightly in judging the wicked. Now, that's the third point. We're getting to the children. Fourthly, concerning children and infants, we must understand the following, that no human being born on this earth after Adam and Eve fell besides our Lord Jesus Christ is born innocent. David, Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. Because Amalek attacked women and children as well, it is right and just that the punishment should be uh, symmetric, should be similar to the crime they committed. Anything less would be a, a, a slap on the wrist. And there is another thing here, perhaps that gripes with our culture, gripes with the way we think, but it is nonetheless true, and it was especially true uh, in the days of, uh, of the Bible, in the days of the, that the Bible was written, and it's only because we've corrupted our understanding of things that, that we don't understand this. It's the idea that we all have a corporate personality. We are individuals, and that's very much what the, our culture emphasizes. We're all unique and, and special in our own ways, and we, we all have this uh, uh, specialness to us. But we kind of forget that we are all part of a people. We are all part of a group. There is a corporate personality. For instance, an entire family or an entire nation is held responsible for the actions of one individual in Scripture. When Achan, in a similar sin to this actually, when Achan uh, hides the spoil, keeps the spoil that he shouldn't, it was the whole of the nation that suffered. Why? Because they understood. No one complained. They understood that the sin of the one not only affects him and his relationship with God. As we looked at this morning, the sin of the the sin committed uh, affects all things. Sin is much more broad and, and impactful than we give it credit for. Our sin is never just, oh, I sinned before God. It doesn't affect anyone. No, our sin always affects everyone. The sin of the one affects the whole family. The sin of the one affects the whole nation. Uh, when when uh, David uh, foolishly called for that census, it was the whole nation that paid the price. Yes, because he was king, but yes, because he was an Israelite. And we, but we still have this in our culture. And I'll just give two illustrations. And I'm looking at the time, and I don't, never understand how it goes so fast. But just two illustrations of this. If tomorrow Russia uh, escalates the war in Ukraine and, the, and the, the UK government declares war on Russia, whether you like it or not, whether you... you, you you agree with it or not, you are at war with Russia. And if you're an able-bodied young man who is in, by, in, uh, in the age of being conscripted, you're going to be called to war. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. If you're an, an English citizen, because your head, because the head of state has declared war on that nation, you are at war with that nation. And if you try to avoid conscription, you're liable for, to be punished for, for, for deserting. Because there are some things that are corporate. 
Another one, really quickly, uh, I was looking into the, the whole thing of getting dual citizenship, becoming a, a, a UK citizen. In order for me to become a UK citizen, besides all the, the forms and requirements, at, right at the end, I need to come before the, uh, an official of the state and do the swear of allegiance, uh, the oath of allegiance to the king. What does that tell you? That because I wasn't born English, uh, I need to swear allegiance to the king. But if you were born English, you, by nature, by the fact that you were born in this country, you have this corporate identity. You've sworn allegiance by the very nature of being here. Doesn't matter if you agree or not. You have uh, a duty of upholding that. Th that is the, the very much against what we see as individualistic 21st century uh, um, Western individuals, but there is the case. And those children born in Amalek, those children born of Amalekites, they were Amalekites themselves. So they were under the ban as well. But lastly, and I said this was the first point, God's judgment always falls on the unrepentant. It's not the Amalek that the Amalekites were innocent victims in this was it? They had 300 years to repent. They had 300 years to look back in their history and understand that what they did was a, a grave sin. They never did. And in fact, it is emphasized in the text that these Amalekites, they were the sinners. We won't look at those words today. But brothers and sisters, let us apply this word to us. If you have never come to to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Like Amalek, if you have never repented of your sins, your sins remain. And it, it, even if it 300 years go by, those sins are still there to be paid for. God does not forget. Don't mistake his long suffering, his slow, slowness to anger uh, by diminishing his anger at all. God does not forget. Sins are terrible. And they're worthy of death. And God's judgment will come. For those sins you have committed. Unless someone else takes those sins from you. Unless someone else pays the penalty of those sins for you. That's why we need Christ. That's why God sent his son to suffer, live, to live, to suffer and die on that cross on our behalf. So that the sins we've committed could have forgiveness. That's why Christ died in a substitutionary death. Yes, God is long-suffering. He's compassive. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But he will exact justice. His slowness to anger does not diminish his anger. God takes no pleasure, but he will enact justice. And your sin is so vile. Your sin is so heinous in the sight of God and his creation. That I'll quote from a very dear pastor that I love. You know, who speaks truth boldly. He says that if you reject Christ as your savior. The last thing you'll hear before you spend an eternity in hell. That if you reject Christ 
the message of the gospel, the last thing you'll hear before you are sent into an eternity in hell is the whole creation and the saints and the angels praising God for having rid the world of you because you're a wicked sinner who hasn't repented of your sins. That's the God of the New Testament as much as it is the God of the Old Testament. A God who is just, a God who is holy, and it is Jesus himself that is said in Revelation 19, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. This is the good news of the gospel. Don't make no, make no mistake. The good news of the gospel proclaims the, the, the acceptable year of the salvation of the Lord inasmuch as it proclaims the day of wrath and vengeance to come. There is, it, there is this westernized, uh, wishy-washy idea that the good news of the gospel is, is, is only good news. But you cannot have good news without the bad news. And the bad news is that there is a day of vengeance coming. That there is a day when God will exact his perfect righteousness on all. And you either are in Christ and the, the punishment that was coming for you was taken by him on that cross. Or you are outside of Christ and you will pay for every sin. For every, every, for every transgression. That is the full gospel. Not some half-hearted, uh, let's all hold hands and, hands and sing, uh, as they say, kumbaya, and, and all will be okay. Because God is a loving God. Yes, he's loving, but he is just as well. And I won't get through all this passage this, this evening. We'll come back to it uh, next week but let me just open up a little bit more of this since we're not going through the whole passage as we talk about the righteous judgment that God rains down on the Amalekites it is the greatest source of comfort for a believer to know this and we don't understand it as we should we don't understand as we should because we live in a country that has freedom of religion. Because we live in a country that we can have our doors open, our lights on, and we can meet here, and I can say whatever I want. I cannot say whatever I want. I can say what the Word of God sa says I can say. But I can say whatever I want and fear no, for the better part, no oppression from, from the state, from the government. There is safety and there is freedom. And we don't understand how comforting the fact that God rains down judgment on the Malachites is because of that. Because if we were in a persecuted country, if we were under the, the tyranny of an anti-Christian government in communist China, in, 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 a, in a Muslim country, we would read this and we'd, we'd say, praise the Lord. You know why? Because my suffering... Is not, God is not blind to the suffering I'm going through. In the same way that he was not blind to the suffering that his people went through on the way to the promised land. He saw them and he cared for them. Very much like we read in Psalm 105, didn't we? I, this was uh, providential reading this psalm. This, this, And now I'm not going to be able to find the verse that we 
that we just read. But that spoke, yes, there, verse 15. God says, he rebukes, now verse 14, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. That is a great comfort. That God is vigilant, that God sees all and that he marks it all. And that God says, beware of hurting my, my precious flock. Rulers and nations, in, in communist countries, in Muslim countries, in, in countries where the Christians, the, the born again are persecuted, they should hear these words of, of the judgment and the vengeance that was rained down on the Malik and, and tremble for what they do to the Christians there. Because Jesus himself in the New Testament said, shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him through he, though he bears long with them. The truth that is highlighted for us here is not so much, uh, it is as well the, the, the judgment being rained down upon the Amalekites, but it's the care and the, the loving fatherly care that, uh, in, that God has for his people. Again, in the New Testament, Revelation 6, verse 9 to 11, as the fifth seal is opened, it says that under the altar were the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, all those martyrs. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth. Then a white robe, it says, was given to each of them, and it was said to them they shall, they should, that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren was fulfilled, who would be killed as they were, was completed, that is. What we're being told is that God's justice will be enacted in this. When those Christians are martyred for their faith in the Middle East, when those Christians are persecuted uh, and, and driven into the underground, as very much has been happening again in China, God is not blind. It might take 300 years. It might, it might take longer. We don't know when the Lord returns, but when the Lord returns, all of that will be made right. And that's why the saints at the sight of the judgment of the wicked will praise God. Because he has done justly. Brothers and sisters, we won't consider the rest of it. I'm not going to, uh, although it's smaller points, uh, I think we can come back to this uh, next week and, and, uh, and treat it more fully. Let us praise our God, that he is the God who sees, he is the God who is just and right and holy, and he judges.